you have to understand what you're saying. If you don't, all you're doing is, is walking around making a bunch of elk sounds and you expect magical things to happen out there. This has nothing to do with the cows. Zero. But yet he's every bit as defensive. More of a kind of like a... And then you just start raking a tree. Just start raking and raking and displaying for this cow. This app should be illegal. It's killed over 5,000 elk that people have notified me since this has been out. Guys like myself and others that are sharing information, this is the trial and errors that we've gone through that we're trying to help you guys cut that learning curve way back. Hey, this is Paul Medell, the Elk Nut, and you're listening to The Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. You and I and everybody listening to this owns 640 million acres. I think he killed more deer drinking his coffee, smoking his cigarette in the pickup truck than I did spending all that time freezing my butt off. Something that I would hope is that people realize that those are wild animals and they have savage natures. I look forward to packing animals out. I look forward to that pain of success. Doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter where you live. I've said it before and you know what I'll say it again louder for the people in the back. Your present circumstance should not limit your passions. This is Jay Scott of the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. Hey, this is Ryan Callahan. Hi, this is Jules McQueen. Hey everybody, Jason Carter here with Epic Outdoors. Hey guys, this is Tim Burnett with Solo Hunter. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative, brought to you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Podcast Network. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, y'all. So hopping into today's episode, after uh, several years, I want to say three years, I believe, and uh, oh, 150, 200 episodes since I've last had him on, I have joining me again. Paul Medell, a.k.a. The Elk Nut. Paul, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast with me again. Hey, no problem. It's my pleasure. It's getting close to elk season. So, you know, perfect timing. <laughs> I was I was going to say, I, I love the I love the timing of this episode because it's 
you know, while we should, in theory, be practicing and scouting and preparing year round for elk season, if it if it is truly our passion, let's face it, in reality, that starts typically about, a, you know, a month ago, I'd say, as people start really getting serious about their elk season prep, it feels like. And so I am I'm happy, you know, hopefully we'll get some people listening in and pulling out their their diaphragms and their bugle tubes and getting after it uh, this fall. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it's all about. I mean, if you don't put the time in to practice and build that confidence in how you sound and and how you're going to use the right sound at the right time, if you don't do that beforehand, you think you're going to go in the field and that's when it all comes together. You're going to have a, a rude awakening. You know, what's the, what's the saying you, you fall back to how you train. I, I probably just massacred that quote. Somebody's probably shaking their head at me, but um, you fall back to the basis level of your training or something like that. And it's on us to take the time to step it up to practice. And I, I will say I, I live out in the boonies now and I don't commute because I work remotely. So I don't get my, uh, my same level of practice in that I used to, cause I used to drive, I'd put on a podcast, listen to that. And I'd practice my, uh, I'd practice my, my calls in the car and I don't commute anymore. So I got to set aside time now. And that I unfortunately don't take nearly enough time to get my practicing in, but you know, in addition, and then let me know if you agree with this, in addition to it's not just practicing the calls themselves, it's studying and learning the strategy of, as you said, when to use the calls and what calls to use. Well, it is, you know, when a person practices, it's like if they're learning a language and when they're when they're trying to learn a sound that has a certain meaning or sends a certain message. That's what you're doing with elk. So you're putting the right tone behind it. And so when you're practicing a cow sound, whether it's a social sound or like a regathering mew or whine or a contact buzz or a nervous bark, grunt, anything, when you're practicing them, you're going to put the right tone and emotion behind it when you understand what that sound represents to the elk. This is what the elk are doing. This is how we start defining the message they're sending in response to us or response to to themselves. And we're just a, a fan of listening to them. And so when you're practicing, whether it's a cow sound or a bugle, you have to understand what you're saying. If you don't, all you're doing is, is walking around making a bunch of elk sounds and you expect magical things to happen out there. <laughs> and this is uh, certainly not going to take place on over-the-counter public land hunts. You have to make things happen, you know, and, and the only way to do this is to understand what you're hearing and understand what you're delivering. And so it sounds that they expect to hear during certain encounters. This is how you're going to have a lot of very close encounters instead of just having a screaming match or a conversation, <laughs> but at a distance way out of range. And it goes nowhere. And the next thing you know, they've left the area. Maybe they're still calling, but the distance is getting greater. And you want to blame everything but yourself. And usually it's us. That was the problem. They recognized us as an imposter. So when you practice, understand the tones that you're using, the message that's being sent. And it's so much easier. It's the same as when we're talking to our buddies. If we're talking about a sporting event or anything, you, you know, that will come across and especially if we're both excited about the same sport and we start talking about players and 
and maybe some of the things that they did, you know, it's just life. That, that's how it is. If I start raising my voice right now, you can tell by my tone that I might not be happy. You see, <laughs> and, and, and so this is what elk are doing. So when you're using sounds that you're going to start practicing, understand when you need to elevate things like a lip ball or a challenge, but then you bring it back down to more like location bugles or in search of, or you're just giving soft little grunts as you're raking a tree, you know, or whatever. Everything has its place. So without rattling on too much, it's just a matter of taking those reads or bite and blow calls, whatever you're using and understanding that the tones or sounds that you're trying to replicate have a meaning. You're not just blurting out a sound and go, okay, I sound pretty good. I'm ready to go hunting because you're going to have a pretty rude awakening out there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, you're walking into a bar and you could do a, one of a million things. You could order a drink. You could be picking up a young lady. You could be trying to pick a fight with some, with the biggest guy in the room. And if you just, walk in and start saying random words at different tones, you're not going to achieve any of your goals <laughs> versus, you know, you're going to use uh, very different words and very different tones trying to pick a fight versus trying to pick up the girl. And it's no different with quote unquote, speaking the elk's language. Yeah. You know, it depends on the situation. I can tell right now you're talking, to, uh, you're referring to stuff that Joel Turner mentions. There's no doubt in my mind. That's something he would say, which is nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying I recognize it. Other than that, you know, that's not how I elk hunt. And that's not how I think. And, and the reason being is, you know, the elk hunting is a challenge. Man, I'm telling you right now, it, for guys to think they're just going to walk out there and, and, and challenge everything, or they're going to cow call or every, everything, or they're just going to bugle everything. You know, this is where they make their mistake right there. It's not just having quality sounds and understanding the message. It's you have to know when to use them. So timing is everything. And what I mean by timing is you need to know the time of day, the type of sound you're going to use. You have to. If you do not know that, that's part of the piece of the puzzle that you're missing. In other words, what I'm trying to get at here is if you're going to challenge a bull, let's say you want to challenge a bull, you better be in a challenging spot in an area where your odds are extremely high that for, for positive results, meaning a close encounter. If just because a bull sounds aggressive, it doesn't mean you're going to get him in close. No way. You have to understand where he is and what time of day it is so that you know if you have a captive audience and he's going to be defensive or not. And, 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 and it's so crucial just because a guy gets a, a, a responsive bull and he's screaming and bugling. Let's say it's a, an hour after daylight. The odds of you calling that bull in are about five, maybe seven percent. That's it. Very, very low because this bull's already leaving his bedding area or his feeding area. He's leaving. He's not there. He's not in the bedding area as a destination. And so this bull may be very responsive and he may even sound monstrous to you and defensive, but he's on the move. And for you to try to pull off the stops and make any sounds you want, it isn't going to work in most cases. Yeah, everybody gets a bone every 10 years, you know, a lucky one <laughs> and, and, and something comes in, but you can't rely on those. You need to get that bull where he wants to be. That is where you will kill him. You don't kill him in transition. 
If you do, like I said, you're lucky. It's a very, very rare occurrence. Yeah, anything can happen, but don't play that. Those odds, those are bad, bad odds. So what you do is you make sure you get him to where he wants to be. A bull is defensive for several reasons, okay? A bull will be the most defensive. And we're talking about a mature bull, especially not a satellite, but a bull with 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 or without cows. If he's a mature bull, he will defend his piece of ground that he staked or laid claim to his own. And he may keep that area for a week, 10 days, two weeks. It's hard to say, you know, if predators move him around or hunters, but that's his spot. And he will not share that with another bull. No way. How about his feeding area? He will share that spot with another bull or three or four. And you may see three or four bulls around there. The cows. Yeah, he's not letting them walk right up to him, but they're right there. And he can see them and they get in a, a feud vocally, but he's really not running them off like he would in the bedding area. That is sacred to him. He does not share it. And so my point is, is that when you get him into that area, that is where he's so killable because he will end up at times making his rounds in his bedding area. And he may go out several hundred yards to a quarter of a mile, north, south, east, and west. And he will bugle harshly and just as a, as a warning to anything. And then he'll walk right back up into the bedding area. But my point is, is he lets everything know nothing is welcome. This happens a lot, even when, when, when they're not rutting. In other words, no hot cow. So once you get in there, that is where you turn vocal. That is when, and it's just you and him. Maybe there's a satellite around, big deal. You don't really care. But my point is, is when you start using the right sounds right there, whether you're trying to call cows from him or whether you're trying to call him away or you're intruding saying, hey, I kind of like this spot as much as you do. I'm not going to back down. I like this area. He will come to try to run you off. But so my point is, it doesn't matter if there's three or four guys there, just him and you is all it takes because you're in an area he will not share. This has nothing to do with the cows, zero, but yet he's every bit as defensive because of you coming in and displaying in his area. Now, if he has cows, that can make it twofold. What if he has a hot cow? That's on like three times the percentages that are coming in your favor. So where you get him, that is really the crucial point right there. It doesn't mean you can't call him in the feeding area, but you got to have him while he's still in the feeding area, not leaving and moving because so many times that's where you get the bull bugling back and forth and he just keeps putting distance between you. He's not running from you. He's going somewhere, but guys don't feel, they don't understand that because they don't know what make elk tick most of the time. They just don't get it. They just think they got a bugling bull and uh, he's running from it because they're bugling and da da. You can't bugle bulls anymore. Blah, blah, blah. No, you, you got him in a bad spot to try to call him. And, and, and so when you take those things into consideration, understanding, you know, how they operate in their mind and what's going to give you the advantage. It's where you catch them in addition to how good your sounds are. So, I mean, really, you're kind of just trying to, as best you can, stack these kind of odds multipliers together. Uh, you're looking to find you better. <laughs> <laughs> you better or they're going to go against you. Well, and, and, you know, I mean, I think you probably know and, and everyone, when they think about calling elk, they think about that kind of what we've been talking about that big exciting you know challenge him and he comes in and wants to fight and and so for people that that's the experience they want they want to call in that big angry snotting snorting stamping bull you're going to need to 100 find it in its bedding area and you're going to need to and up your more, 
Yeah, to up to up your odds of having that experience, and you're more more likely than not going to need to find one that's got a hot cow that's uh, hanging around. But not and- necessary. That's just a bonus. Okay, it, it, that's it's just a bonus. You, you know, when we're calling in elk year after year after year, and 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 especially, I'm just going to refer to public ground over the counter because being able to have a uh, an LE tag somewhere where there's fewer hunters. And just an enormous amounts of elk, you know, anybody can play with those elk. But when you're dealing with with elk that are pressured a lot and they see it all, that's where you're honing in your skills and fine tuning your calling right there. It's like guys will say, if I get in there with a bull, whether he has hot cows or not, I'm trying to call his cows away. I'm going to use a lip ball or I'm going to use this, whatever. That's the biggest mistake you can make. You're not going to call them in. I'm telling you right now, I don't care how hard you try or how great you think you are. You will not call that bull in because he could care less when a bull, when a bull has cows and they're not, and there's nothing in heat, you are wasting your time trying to call that, that, that bull's cows away. You really are. You're just wasting your time unless you got in so tight and he was just screaming and, 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 and things you, you just got lucky. But you got to have a cow coming to the heat before that takes place. You have to understand that that's why there's no bulls around. There's, say you have a bull with eight cows and he's the only one making any sound. Nothing. So where's the satellites? Why aren't they there? There's no hot cow. So you're going to come in there and all of a sudden be Mr. Bull where no other bulls even interested in his cows because of the fact that there's nothing coming into heat. And they can tell because of the fact that there's, they're not smelling that airborne chemical called pheromone that a cow will emit through urination when she's coming into estrus. So none of that exists yet. You're over there trying to play the role that a, a satellite would play when that does exist. So, so you're going against everything right there. And it's really not making a lot of sense to the bull. You're sitting there trying to call a cow away that he could care less about. This is the time. This is the time when I'm telling you, that's when he allows other bulls present, especially in the feeding area. They can walk all around him because he knows these bulls are not going to do anything. You think they're going to try to steal cows that aren't in estrus? They could care less about them. That's why pre-red, when you see things happening and the cows are still with the cows and bulls, and you might even get a young bull with six or seven or eight cows, but nothing's happening. You think he's worried about losing a cow? He doesn't care. It's the fact that when they start coming into estrus, that is the game changer. That is when everything gets just, uh, you know, a little more trickier. But my point is, is that once you get him in that bedding area or where they want to be, you must display or advertise yourself in his area that he does not want to share regardless whether he has cows or not. You, You have to understand, too, that guys use cow calls way too much. Way, way too much because they just think every bull wants cows. What a bunch of crap. Most <laughs> bulls could care less about cows. They could care less. When we're calling bulls, I can tell you in eight states I've hunted and over the counter for nearly 40 years that it's the bull sounds that kill them. It isn't the cow sound. A lot of times we will use a cow sound as we, we check things out to see if there's any interest because when you're around elk, how do you know a bull's going to respond to cow calls? You really don't. But what gets his goat is once he gets that estrus smell in his nose, whether it's September the 2nd or September the 15th, for the first time, that bull is done the rest of the month. He will answer cow calls because he's got that smell and it's time to breed. Once they get it, 
I tell you, that's when the cow calls can really do a lot as well as bugles. They can go hand in hand. But prior to that, the last time they smelled the estrus sound or that pheromone in the air was a year ago. So it takes a lot to get him excited. So if you think cow calls are just going to, as far as getting them bugling and screaming and writing hard, if you think that's going to happen on all elk that haven't smelled that estrus yet on all bulls, forget it. it ain't going to happen. So what you have to do is go to different strategies, trying to, to relate and, and draw on their curiosity. That's where things like the cow party come in or the breeding sequence. And you, what you're going to do is you can suck these bulls in, but most of them come in silent. They don't make any sound. But once they get that estrus smell in their nose, no longer do they come in silent hardly at all they come in and they're very vocal or at least they're vocal enough that you can pinpoint where they're at and if they're closing the distance it, it, it makes a difference all that comes together that's when your cow sounds can really be magnetic at that time by changing your sound from a social to a regathering to a contact buzz where you're in, insisting him to come over to you you see especially if he starts to hang up you must converse with him you don't just make gibberish out there. You must talk to him and communicate. And that's what you're doing. If you're giving a regathering mew to another cow or to another bull, doesn't matter. Or if you're giving the, 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 that more demanding or urgent contact buzz, which applies to any elk, cow or bull, doesn't matter. So it's all situational, what you're dealing with and what you're trying to you know, make happen at that time. But it's so important to understand where you're at, what time of day, what sounds are, are going to be needed. Yeah, there's plenty of times that you're going to try to call the, the bull's cows away. Heck yeah, but it's not every time. No way. I mean, it, and there's nobody out there that, that, that can do that effectively. If they tried it on every bull, they're going to find out that they're probably good for 10, 15% when they finally hit the right bull that's in that frame of mind and does have a hot cow. Now, when you try to call the cow away, that means something. It represents something. But prior to that, because if you go in trying to call the cow away, who do you think the bull realizes you're talking to? He realizes you're talking to the cows, not him. He knows what tone means what, what a sound of emotion means what. I mean, he's not dumb. I mean, he deals with this every day. So for you to be an imposter and to come in and, and, and do things that don't quite fit, that's where guys screw up right there. And that's where distance starts getting creative. That's when you can actually push elk out of an area. They know something's not right. And this is what happens to hunters all the time. So, you know, say I've, I've uh, tracked an elk, basically, whether listening to a bugle or I've kind of seen where it's headed. I've, I've gotten and figured out where this elk is bedding down and you're trying to develop a strategy and you kind of have to make that decision at some point. Okay. Am I going to go in and aggressively, you know, try and challenge him? Does he have that hot cow or am I going to take another tact? How do you kind of make that determination whether or not they've maybe got a hot cow there with them? I know you mentioned satellite bulls. If there's no satellite bulls around, uh, it's less likely that there's a hot cow. What are some other other signs? There's going to be a bull around. <laughs> there is no <laughs> spots like that. <laughs> Believe me, when estrus hits the air. You have to understand that a, a cow be prior for her coming into estrus, she'll drip and leak and start having the signs of coming into heat days before, you know, several days before she's ever ready to be bred. 
So this gets into the atmosphere. It gets into the wind. I mean, that's what all these elk are doing. They're waiting for this. And it can go a long distance. Anything downstream, downwind of it, it's going to smell it. So we're, this isn't something that just takes place in an hour, and all of a sudden she's in heat. Mm-hmm. No. This goes on for a period of time. It's the same as when you have a dog, a female in heat, and you have dogs coming around that you've never seen before in your life, and they hang around for several days. This is what's taking place before she's even ready to be bred. See, and you can see how it just attracts dogs. Well, this is going to attract elk. But basically, when a bull has a hot cow in his presence, and let's just say for whatever reason, there is no there is no uh, satellites around. They're all dead. They've all been killed off there. There's just (laughs) nothing there. That bull is going to be extremely vocal. You're going to hear this bull making all the sounds that I described for the slow play. He's going to be doing it all because this cow is going to be into heat for 12 to 15 hours. And he's just going to be besides himself as far as his excitement level, the emotion that he's feeling, the, the pan and the little groans and growls and his display and manner of raking. I mean, he's just going to go through all that. That's just all there is to it. So you're going to hear him make all these different sounds. And he's the last thing he's going to do is be quiet. I could care. He could care less about what's around. He is not going to be quiet. So you're going to see. By, by his vocalization and his glunking, everything happening that this guy's got a hot cow right there. There's no question about it. So there's no such thing as him going into uh, some big deep sleep and he's just going to breed this cow without ever making a sound. And the same would apply if there were satellites around. He's still going to go through those same sounds. And at the same time, if satellites are trying to call the cow away because they know they can't challenge the bull because they already know where they're at in their pecking order, uh, which they have already done all of this in August. They know where they sit. And, and and so with this in mind, they know they can't mess with him. And so they try to call the cow away. And with this, you might have him enter quite a few challenges for them to stay away or else. At the same time, he's still relating or communicating with the hot cow just because of his excitement. And, you know, he's feeling his oats. It's, it's, it's breeding once a year. And this is it. So, you know, he's never going to be this quiet. I don't care how heavy a he- area uh, uh, property that you're hunting or, or public land. It doesn't make any difference. He's not going to shut up. And so you have to understand, you know, a lot of people will say, well, the pressure is so great over here that these elk only breed at night. You know, and what a load of crap, you know, <laughs> that is. And, and I'll tell you why. When a cow comes into heat, she's into heat 12, 15 hours. OK, now, do you think that she can designate when she's going to come in? Uh, of course not. Not, you know, she's not God. When she comes into heat, she comes into heat and, and, and there's no nighttime at all. That's 12 to 15 hours anyway. It's shorter than that. So when she comes in, she's still going to be in heat daytime, period. They're not just going to breed them at night. And then all of a sudden they flip a light switch because there's some guy around calling. I mean, it's, a, it's such a, a load of baloney that people make all this stuff up. This is not factual whatsoever. Uh, yeah, they can push elk and they can see him and, and the elk smells him and move out of there. You know, and, and that's what's boogering them more than anything. It, it, it isn't because a guy gave a bugle and the elk ran. That's not what it is. It's usually a combination of things. They were noticed or seen by other elk that weren't, you know, maybe other cows, spikes, rags. that They didn't even know were there because they were tunnel vision focused on that where they could hear the sounds. So a lot of things come into play. So, you know, but people are always readily wanting to blame everything but themselves. It's just it's just human nature. And most of the time, again, it's pilot error. It's us. Uh, we've made a mistake. We did something that wasn't right. 
so when a bull's coming in, you know, when a bull's starting to rut hard because a cow's coming in heat, there is going to be no question about it. But my point is, is that you don't really care because if you can get to his bedding area, uh, here are a perfect examples that in the bull I killed two years ago. The bull I killed two years ago was sec- September the 2nd. Now, most people would go, who cares about September the 2nd? Because they're really not rutting. And that's true. It can happen. But if you hunted for 40 years, you can see you're probably going to get a handful of years where they were rut and screaming. Well, what about the other 35? You know, they were quiet. You might get a little uh, kind of a that's about it. You get not much of anything. And that's more normal than getting in a rut fest that early on. But yet I still got this bull. How did I get him? Because I heard him bugle way, way off. I mean, way off. And he was way below. It was my son and I were together. And we were probably up the mountain. I don't know, maybe a mile and a quarter, mile and a half. It was something. And we heard this bull way off. And we're, wow, that's pretty cool. Bull bugling September the 2nd. And so we sat there, didn't move. And he's all the way across another drainage. And so we listened to the bull. We called back just sporadically. He would answer. and he, But nothing violent that we could tell. He was just so far. And he started making his way up the mountain. The next thing we knew, we could hear him go up, up. And he just bugled so often, most of the time on his own. And so once he got to a spot where he bugled four or five times in one spot, I said, okay, he's in his bedding area, Paul. Let's go get him right now. That bull is where he wants to be because all his other bugles, we could tell he was on the move. So this is how you read a situation right here is you're like, he's here. He's here. He, okay. We don't want to go after him yet and start bugling them because all we're going to do is dog him. We're not going to catch him. He's not going to let you. And so you get him to where he wants to be because he was vocal enough on his own. He just happened to be that way. Not a elk are that way, but a lot of them are. And so once we caught him there, now we made our move and here we come. We finally got within which we were guessing maybe a couple hundred yards and gave out a couple cow calls just to test the water. Nothing. Never made a peep. That was the last cow call he heard. And this is very common, but sometimes, you know, they'll light up early. You just never know. If he smelled a hot cow this year or not, we're guessing he didn't, but you, you still try because if a bull answers the cow call, that bull is dead. He's dead. He's a done deal. He <laughs> is so defensive. Once you answer, once he answers a cow call that you can use a strategy that will kill him almost every time you have to mess it up because he won't. And so this bull didn't say anything. He never heard another one from us. So we moved in once he, uh, once we didn't get any response from him. So we go ahead and we gave a bugle and we knew in his area, but we didn't know where he was. Once we bugled, he bugled immediately. And he was still, I, I would imagine 150, 200. I, you know, it's hard to tell him the heavy timber like that. So we just kind of set up, we made a little bit of a move, moved up to only a few yards to find a good setup spot. And once we did, I was only like 25 yards from my son. And I looked over at him and just kind of shook my head. Yes. Okay. Let's try him right here. He's not going to like us that we're displaying in his area, displaying or advertising another bull present in his bedding area. So within just seconds, my son buled and raked and that bull just screamed back. Bugled, raked a little bit more, cut the bull off. This time the bull cut him off. And it was probably... You know, it's hard to say, but it was probably 60 to 90 seconds. I could see the bull at about 80 yards, and here he's coming, 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 coming. And as the bull came on around, he's in front of me. I'm watching him come. He comes all the way to 25 yards, and he is just bugling, bugling, bugling on September the 2nd, looking for this bull that's in his area. Now, I promise you, most people would have would have resorted to a cow call 
they just start cow calling, cow calling. They just don't stick with the bugle, thinking every bull wants cows. That's how they are, and that's where they blow it, right there. And you can't do that. So you have to shy away from it. But by, by, by staying with that displaying uh, advertising sequence, here he came, and I, and I killed the bull at 25 yards. I shot him right through the heart. And, and he went less than 100 yards and piled up, and he's a really nice six-by-six. Six. But the point is, is that, see, I know darn well he didn't have any hot cows, but what, what ended up putting him down is the fact that he was not willing to share that spot with another bull. He was coming to push us out of there is what he was doing, pushing my son out of there. And he actually came right between us. My son could have killed him so easily. That bull came right on around. And he got right between me and right between my son. And I was only like 25 to 30 yards from my son. So he walked right between us. But when we hunt, only one of us carries a bow. When it's my turn, I got the whole day. When it's his turn, he has the whole day. We never both carry bows at the same time. And so it was up to me to mess it up. <laughs> and, and But anyway, so it's things like that. And we've done it before. Killed him that early or real close to that time frame by with the bugle, not the cow call. The cow call when we're killing elk with the cow call usually comes later on. Once they start getting real interested in the cows. As a matter of fact, once we killed this bull, I went back over to where I first heard him once he got to his bedding area and I saw quite a bit other sign. It looked to me like he probably had four or five cows with him. Never heard him. Didn't even know they were there. But I did go over there and look. And sure enough, they were there. And uh, but obviously nothing was running. There was no sound. There was no other bull. He was the only one making any sounds whatsoever. But, you know, it, it, there's a real life example even early on how the bull sounds and we carry that type of calling on bulls all the way to the end of the month and into October. That is one of the things we do is we stay with the bull sounds, whether we're going to call cows away from it because, Oh, this bull has a hot cow. Now I can work the cows, get his anger up and then turn and challenge him. You see, and then the full send challenge is what's the last sound he's going to hear. I got to work him up, play the game, call the cow, challenge him. And then the full send challenge at the end is what gets him to commit if he hasn't already come in. Because once you give him that full send, that's what he'll do to you. You that is the last nail in the coffin and he won't put up with it. He will charge you and come flying in. And that's probably one of the biggest sounds that we use on mature bulls we don't use it on satellites we use it on mature bulls and uh, you know but arranging the tactic and making everything fit and making it believable that's the key to putting all these elk down so and you say you don't use that on satellites is that does that tend to be because they're just they've probably gotten their their butt handed to them a couple of times and they're a little more gun shy when it comes to those those big challenges you know, when I'm referring to a, a satellite, I should qualify the statement. I'm kind of talking about a small three before, a little four by five. You know, if you got a, a, a really good bull that could be every bit as, as good as a herd bull, if not better, he just doesn't seem to be as tough. You don't see him. You have to understand a lot of times we don't even see these elk until they come in for the shot. We're hunting timber. That's where you can call elk. If you're hunting a lot of open country, you know, a, a lot of sagebrush, you can't use techniques like this. It isn't going to work. They're going to see uh, no elk as they come in from 300 yards away. I mean, it's just too open. So we're, we're usually using this in country that is, is tight and that we can have a good setup. The wind is right. A lot of cover, undulation, uh, big rocks, a lot of downfall, you know, benches, whatever, so that the shooter can have the shot. Or if I'm solo, I have to be, play the role of a bow shooter 
and collar. So you have to know when you can move and when you can't. But it, this isn't hard to do when you have a lot of cover and you have the wind right. So, you know, yeah, but when I'm talking about satellites, I'm really referring to a non-mature bull. That's, that's really what I'm referring to. I because you. you, I play on the curiosity. Then, if I know it's a younger bull and I'm and I have an over-the-counter tag, I'm going to switch it up so quick. It doesn't mean you can't call him in. He could come sneaking in, and he probably is going to come in silent if it's a smaller bull. Because anytime you show defensive action, then, well, what are you being defensive over? A bull's defensive over his territory, or he's defensive over his cows. And so, this can really get the curiosity up on a younger bull. Oh, heck yeah. He wants to see part of the action. He wants to smell it. He wants to scent check that whole area. He he has the same urges as a mature bull. Don't get me wrong completely, but he's not going to come in in a fighting mood. He, he's probably going to be much more silent as he comes slipping in. You see, and so that's the difference right there is they can come in so undetected and you don't even know they're there and you can make a false move and you're burned and they're gone. And and so most of the time I'm going to do a setup where there's no movement. If I know I'm dealing with satellites, I may go with a breeding sequence because a breeding sequence can really excite him and I'm not threatening him. It's nothing like that. Most of the time when you're using a breeding sequence or a cow party sequence, everything comes in silent. Just one after another, but they don't make a sound. So I expect it at that time. So I'm going to switch gears. And when I start using a tactic or a sequence as that, I know what to expect. I know I have to have my eyes and my ears open and total focus as opposed to a bull that is screaming and bugling his way in. You see, it's much easier to know where he is as he closes the distance. So you you talk about the breeding sequence and the cow party sequence for those of my listeners who haven't heard this before or haven't yet downloaded the app, what makes up those, those sequences and kind of what do they represent? Well, a cow, a cow party, it represents cows only unattended by a bull. A breeding sequence is really a longer version, or I shouldn't say longer, but a, a shorter version of the slow play. The slow play is, is dialed up. For a mature bull, and it, it can be a satellite as well, but most of the time you're dealing with a more a, a more mature bull, uh, not a bunch of little bulls. And you can usually tell by his sound uh, when you heard enough elk, like, oh, that's a good bull. Even though he only bugled once, maybe he bugled twice in a half an hour. That's it. He won't answer anything. And you can like, okay, that's a pretty good bull. He's got a pretty good voice behind him. And, and so I'm going to slow play him. Because of the fact that he's not rutting, he really doesn't care. Now, on a younger bull, if I hear more of an immature sound, I can still use the slow play. Don't get me wrong. But you're going to die. When you dial the slow play up, it can be 15 to 30 minutes before anything shows. And, and, and on the younger bulls, they hardly ever engage vocally. But with the breeding sequence, you're much faster with it. In five, seven, eight minutes, I've covered the whole entire sequence with a lot of energy multiple cows slow play is one bull one cow and i have a hot cow a breeding sequence i could have a hot cow but most likely i'm representing a cow that's coming into heat and and, and i have multiple cows there three four five ever whatever sounds i've decided to use and i'm doing raking you know and i'm still doing some really short glunks and and and, and some moaning and little low growls to, to my group but I'm i'm using some energy behind it the slow play, you know, sometimes you're not making a sound for a minute or two. Nothing. You're letting it all sink in. You're planting the seed. You're letting things develop. 
you see when you're in that area because he's not fired up at all but a lot of times with these younger bulls i'll go to the breeding sequence especially if i have a herd bull and their satellites hanging around him and we can't get at the herd bull for whatever reason you just can't the terrain the wind but we can play the satellites so go into a breeding sequence right there it is just magic. You'll suck them right over because that's what brought them over there in the first place, knowing this bull over here has a cow coming into heat. So we're just going to redirect them and bring them over and try to get within 200 yards. That's it. Don't need to be no closer. Now, the cow party is an unattended group of cows. You try to be as many as you can. If I am by myself, I usually have three cow calls in the read so I can represent four uh, different cows. And I can even sound like more than that. Now, if I have a hunting partner, then he's going to have two or three cow calls himself. And we're really, uh, you know, we have turning it into a party. (laughs) A real chorus. It sounds like a chorus of elk. If there's three of us, all three of us are doing it. And none of you are going to cow call at the same time. You may think you are, but you can't, you know, you can't synchronize your calling that easily. And so with this all going point left, right behind us in the air, different volumes, short ones, long ones. And I usually will run the show on it is I will start using a regathering mew here and there because I have there's other cows that are part of the group and I'm letting them know where we're at. They haven't arrived yet. They're just still hanging out in the fringes being elk, just dinging around, feeding, you know, just playing. They're elk. They're not all just sitting in this tight little group. And so I'm encouraging them to come on over. Come on over. You guys aren't here yet. And after a few minutes, as we're still singing it up, up and down and doing everything, I might go to a contact buzz urging them more urgently or demanding hey get over here been long enough get over here now and that's what those tones mean and so as i as i run the show as only one cow will do that in a group i run that show as the others are still piping off with their sounds. and i mean to tell you this thing absolutely kicks <laughs> butt on elk we suck so many bulls in i only did it a couple two three times last year and i called seven bulls in doing this seven different ones and not one made a peep and a bunch of cows and spikes not one made one sound they just show up so you really got to watch what you're doing and I, I i on the app we have this huge update coming and i have a 10 or 11 minute sequence of us doing all the sounds in it you're going to hear everything with three of us and, and 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 there's another section where it's just me by myself but you're going to hear me go through the regathering mew and explain it and when i'm introducing the contact buzz and how much i'm doing it and the reason i'm doing it but not all of us are doing it just me at the right time and this is what makes it so real when other elk are off and they can hear it they're within earshot but can't see anything it sucks them right in so you have to have a good tight setup so when they do show up they're in bow range and so if there's two of us we face each other so we can see everything left right front of us behind us if there's three kind of a little triangle and we still have a 360 view because when they come in they come in sneaking and 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 it's so fun and i will tell you on doing this when you're doing it right and you know it's believable here's what you know is happening they never come in downwind they come straight at you and so you know you're doing it right elk don't come in downwind hardly ever you know why they do suspicion is has arisen there's something you're doing in your calling or your setup or they saw a movement as they're sneaking in and you're not you didn't know they were right there that close already and they catch a movement of something and so all of a sudden they trust their nose and they start circling it so you need to alleviate that from the situation so your setup has to be one that they cannot come and see anything like that until they are within your bow range by then one of you seen them or you've seen them yourself and 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 if i'm by myself i just make sure 
that my back is to where I came in. Because if that's where it is, there's no way they're going to come in anyway. <laughs> they're going to smell where I came, where I just walked. So I, I want them coming in left, right, or in front of me. But if I have heard them, I heard a sound, a bugle, or I saw something going to, into the cover and they're not making any sound. See, I know where they're at now. Now I'm going to position myself because I know they're going to come straight at me. They try to come the shortest distance unless I, I give them reason not to. And I'm going to not do that. I'm going to make sure that, you know, when I'm giving them the sounds, I am so hidden and my bow is ready and arrows knocked. I have everything. I know what to expect now. I mean, I've done this for so many years and, and even field and stream wrote an article on me doing this and they did it. I think 12 years ago, they call it the cow party and the cow party slash breeding sequence is what they called it. And they did it in three episodes of three different magazines, which was really cool. And uh, anyhow, it, it's something we've done for years and a lot of people have started incorporating it because if you're a, an early season hunter, oh, this thing is a magnet. It's an elk magnet. And especially if you're not trying to kill a herd bull or you're just trying to kill a branch antlered elk or a cow, a lot of guys are. And, and that's what's going to happen with the cow party. It can bring in anything. Whereas the breeding sequence or the slow play, it rarely brings in a cow. Rarely. It almost every time it's a branch antlered bull or the herd bull. And, and so when you're using a specific sequence for a specific elk, we're trying to target you know, mature bulls ourselves. That's just what we like to hunt. And and a five points right up there with it on over-the-counter hunts because, you know, there's just not elk like Arizona or Nevada. It's just not that way. <laughs> they get heavily hunted. So by by dictating the, the sound I'm going to use, uh, and, and there's times, I, I've sat on a mountain where all I do is just sit there and it's like 6.30 in the evening, 7. And I know they're there. I just wait. And all of a sudden I hear a bull bugle. And why do I hear a bull bugle? It's because when an elk gets up from their bedding area, they usually will allow, alert anything around them, especially if he has cows, they're getting up. He's, he's getting up and he, he's letting the group know. And one of the easiest ways to me, the best techniques you'll ever use on a bull that just did that, because you obviously know that nothing's riding. There's not bull screaming everywhere <laughs> yeah. and there's a lot of chaos or a rut fest. There's nothing like that going on. So the last thing you want to do is get in a challenging mode, but what gets them? And again, on the app update that's coming this month, all this is in there. I have a whole video of this is what we usually do right then is all we do is cow call a couple of times and then start raking. No bugle sounds, no grunting and groaning and glunt. You don't need to do anything. Just a few nice soft cow sounds. And a lot of times it's more of a kind of like a couple like that and then you just start raking a tree just start raking and raking and displaying for this cow you can give a few more if you want to change the volume whatever you want to do you could even give a couple little annoying ones kind of you know anything and then just keep raking stomping and sometimes i never bugle but sometimes i will kind of just give a short little pant kind of a that's it. No more. And, and, and by doing things like that and raking in the cow calls, what does that show the other bull? He can't size you up. There's no way in heck he can tell how big that bull is or little that bull is. You see? And so by going through that, it gets their curiosity. 
And he doesn't even know if it's one of his cows or not. It's just the fact that that bull is right there and he got up. So when I'm doing this, I'm trying to get inside that 150 yard. I don't care about a hundred at all, but inside that hundred, 150 right in between there. And he will come over. So many times he'll start bugling as he comes closer. He tries to call the cow away and you can tell by his tone. He is not challenging the bull. He's just trying to call the cow. And if he does decide he gets a little irritated at the bull that's there, you'll, you'll notice this in his emotion or the tone. You see, as it changes or, or escalates. And but the point is, is don't move, just keep staying there and doing it. It will suck him right in. And he and, and again, it's really a non-challenging situation. But he's like, who the heck is right there, right here in my area? And without getting into this big screaming match, which in most cases you don't need to do it. Other times, he just comes sneaking in. So it's one of my favorite little things to do and, and not showing an identity to me you see and, mm-hmm. and and it really makes a big difference when you're in a non-confrontational high-end screaming match it's nothing like that the bull got up to bugle to let other elk know his cows that he's getting up and they're going to get up and move maybe start heading for water a little feed and go to their to, to their nighttime feed, uh, feeding bedding area and that's what they'll do they'll get up and move and they'll because you know during the daytime elk like getting into areas where they can see where the wind is just right. They like heavy timber, staying cool. But at nighttime, elk prefer openings. Even if it's a very small meadow, they prefer bedding in the meadows or in an opening where uh, an intruder, such as a predator, cannot slip in on them. They they hear something they can see. They're, they got a lot better eyes than we do. And so you will see a lot of times you're walking through timbered country, and then all of a sudden you hit these little uh, meadows, one acre, half an acre, five acres. And there's beds all in it, but you never see them in there. <laughs> it's because that's their nighttime bedding area. They like having, and when they're, and they're just like us when we're calling, well, as they bed down, you'll see these beds all in this certain spot and they're all facing a different direction. They're looking for a predator. And especially in the country we hunt and a lot where you're at in Montana, you have wolves, you have bears, you have mountain lions. So you have these predators out there. Uh, you know, they got the bears, of course, and stuff. And, and they're, they're leery of that. But when you start getting them into the timber or where they wanted to bed in more shaded areas on those warmer days, what you're going to notice is you're going to notice the cow's bed in one spot and the bull beds in another. Rarely will you ever find them a mature bull bedding with his cows. But you think they are. You walk over and you go, oh, I see four or five cows bedded. Well, guess what? In most cases, that bull will bed anywhere from 75 to 125 yards away from him. So you got to watch that. Don't think that because they're there, he may get up and make his rounds and smell them and, and make sure everything's okay. But notice this. Over the years, you will see this. He beds away from the cows. So don't get caught off guard if you get tunnel vision on those cows and you think you're going to sneak in and just sit there and wait. You can, as long as the wind holds up for a long time, he <laughs> may come in and check his cows out. And he will. He will come in and set check things and look them over. But you will find that rarely does he just bed right with them. And they're pretty cagey and he's usually above them when he does this. So you got to watch yourself. If you're sneaking in on those cows, that bull could be right up above you and he sees you move. The next thing you know, he may give a bark or a quick a roundup bugle and off everything goes. It's over, game over, done. So, you know, you, again, elk hunting isn't just going out there and making a bunch of sounds. You, you got to know what you're doing. And by guys like myself and others that are sharing information that have so many years of experience, this is the trial and errors that we've gone through that we're trying to help you guys cut that learning curve way back. 
so that you don't make a lot of those same mistakes. It doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. Heck yeah, I make mistakes, but I've reduced them quite a bit <laughs> as opposed to, you know, when I was a little greener behind the ears. So I've got a situation for you and it, I encountered this uh, the season before last in Arizona. It was a dry year. The rut just what didn't seem like it was kicking off. And we were getting into elk every day. Oh, no, I, I shouldn't even say we were. We were you, really... you do. You will. It's Arizona. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it, I, I, I shouldn't even say we weren't even necessarily getting into elk. We were locating elk. We could hear them. Yeah. And we'd locate them. We'd kind of get a pin on them and we we'd get in towards them. But the second we would get, I mean, within 200 yards, you know, it didn't matter. And, and we, we were being non-aggressive, you know, non-threatening. Yeah. But the second there would be any other any other call in the area, mm-hmm. we just you'd immediately hear this roundup bugle. And it wasn't it wasn't like a an urgent thing. It was kind of a lazy it was effectively, it sounded like you were saying like, oh, gosh, I don't want to deal with this guy. All right, ladies. All right, we got to move on. again. Come on. We're going to. I know you don't have to go any further. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Because he's they're doing it with bulls, too. The herd bull that has the cows, he is reacting the same way, whether you're bugling or not, with bulls that are in the area. And here's the problem with Arizona in non-mountainous country. What I mean, heavy timber. If you're hunting heavy timber, those are mountain elk and they, they, they react the same way as they do in any state that has timbered elk. But when you're hunting elk on, not, on, 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 with a lack of heavy timber, more juniper, pinion, sage, some rolling hills, yet it's full of elk, you're going to find that they don't have any dadgum bedding areas. They don't have them. They just well, this was This was actually the kind of high desert. So it was pretty, it was some pretty heavy timber up in there. Or, I mean, can you see through it? Can you see 150 yards through it? Oh, no. Or, no, not. So it was you, denser. Could, you could see maybe maybe 40 yards at, at most. Okay, so that's good. So you had mountainous range. Yeah. That's good because they will have a bedding area in those areas. What what you did, I have no idea what you were doing and trying to call what the dates were. Did, was, there, was there hot cows? You know, and if anything, maybe you were just being a little too passive. Uh, when I hunted Arizona, I noticed, man, you got to get down and dirty with them. That's just all there is to it. Not only that, even in the mountainous range when it, where I hunted, I don't know if we were, might we might even been hunting the same unit, which we won't say here on the air. But <laughs> the point being is that even in those mountainous areas, it was very difficult to find water. It wasn't like there was creeks and streams. I never found mm-hmm. one wallow, not a single wallow. And no water anywhere. The only water I could find was where, where I found the ditch tanks and stuff. And and I don't know. Did you experience something similar to that? It was a, it was a really dry year. So there was water. No. And the, the few spots that had water, like the, the known water, they were the, the water spots. Yeah. There were, there's some cattle ponds and tanks. And I mean, there was four or five guys on the, on each, each one, it seemed like. Yeah. And, and, and so, so what happens is, cause again, I've hunted Arizona, so I know what you're talking about and I saw the same thing. So what happens is, is you, what we ended up doing was we would find the tanks by using the flatline map. Okay. The Arizona has what's called a flatline map and it's only for that state. So, and it's unit unitized, you might say. So if let's say you're hunting unit eight, if you're hunting unit eight, you buy the map for, or, and it's on your phone. It's in an app. And on that app, 
it will show every single tank in that area. Every tank. There is not one that's missing. It's really awesome. And so what we ended up figuring out after about two or three days of hunting them and hearing good bulls and seeing some good bulls is, my goodness, all I had to do was open up this app. These bulls, <laughs> there's no water. All I had to do was find the closest tank to where these bulls were. And it's not like there's, you know, a, a square mile and there's five tanks. There's like one tank. That's it. And, and, and so because these tanks are where they drilled wells and, and every one of these tanks are near a road. There isn't one tank. I don't think more than 200 yards from a road. Most of them are much closer than that. And so what we would do is find these tanks on our map where the roads were absolutely treacherous. They were horrible. And it kept almost everybody out. So we would find these roads that were just a joke. And we had a razor. So side by side with my son and I. And so mm -hmm. as we drove through and we got into this just rough crap that people didn't want to take their pickups on, we started finding these tanks. Okay. So then we started hunting the areas around it where, where we could hear elk everywhere. And so all we had to do was go sit these tanks anywhere from 530 till dark. And you should see the bulls that would come into them. All these bulls you're hearing are coming into these tanks because there is no other water. And so I was passing tons and I passed 23 bulls. And, and so, and, and, a, and most of them were six points, a lot of fives. We have them on video there. It, we put it on Instagram. We show probably eight or 10 of them that are just walking right on top of us. And, and some are nice, but I was looking for something bigger. But the point is, is that that's where all these elk are going. So if, if you're just trying to kill a bull, and calling is uh, you're having difficulty. And I don't know why you were in the mountainous country, because the minute we hit the mountainous country, we call bull after bull after bull right in. But when we hit the more open, the calling was less. And that's where I noticed that they were being constantly pushed by satellites. The satellites would bugle them and get close and the bulls would run without us saying anything. The satellites just kept pushing them and pushing them and pushing them until everything would get tired. And then that's where they would bed but they really had no designated bedding area. This was this way day after day after day, but get into the mountainous area where there was all the timber, like you found a lot of timber, some little aspen stuff, but a lot of mountainous stuff, nothing like Idaho, what I'm used to hunting, but yeah. they were still mountains. And at the same time, these elk had bedding areas. We could get in and we could suck these guys right in. We could call them right in. And, and so again, it all, and, and I wasn't playing with many cow calls. Everything was the bull sounds. And so when we'd get on a mature bull, we realized on the herd bull, we had to get in close. We had to get inside that like 70, 60 yards. And the reason we couldn't get any closer is because it was still noisy. Nothing had rained either. It was just quiet. And every little pop man, they'd run. Mm -hmm. And so if we could sneak into that spot and we had to hammer them. We, there was no messing around. We had to give them the thunder at those times. And that's when they would come in. Other times it was just that raking and cow sound. If we get close enough, because it was a single bull, we did this on a couple of occasions. I've, I had a couple of 340 bulls in, in anywhere between one of them was 12 yards and another one was inside 20 and I couldn't get the shot on him. And he was definitely 340. One was a hair more. So, you know, we were in on those situations and that's how we did it. But cow calls meant nothing. They were just, there were so many cows mm -hmm. over there. And so everything was the thunder or the challenge, uh, full sand challenge at the end or sitting in the water. But the water was so crucial. If you found some good bulls in an area, you had to go sit the water because they were going to come over there. And when they did, here's what I noticed. No bull came to the water without bugling, not a single one. As a matter of fact, I'd hear three or four or five different bulls bugle 
they were still up, you know, uh, in, in the pinions or in the junipers or what pines were there. There was a mixture of it. And a bull would bugle, then another and another. And only one bull would come in. He'd bugle his way to the pond. He would drink his fill, swim around. He would go back out and he'd bugle his way out. And the next bull would bugle his way in. Every I sat upon for three or four different days in the time I hunted. And it happened like that every single time. Not one time did any intruder bull just pile in on another one. Not once. And so I thought, man, that was so interesting. So I put this on a separate video on the app that's coming out this month. I explain all this, how it happened. And, and, and what to expect if that's you out there and you don't care if you call them in or you sit water or whatever the case may be, because not everybody's trying to kill a 350 bull. You know, some guys just want a respectable six point and they're happy. Not everybody's killed three dozen elk like I have. So, you know, they're just I was more picky. And so understanding how it all worked out there. And when I did call in some of the bigger bulls on the more open to semi open country, I realized I had to steal their thunder. And what that meant was every time I heard a herd bull, and I mean, there was no question it was him with cows, obviously, it was sucking some of the better bulls and they would just bugle their way all the way to him. You can cow call, make some bugles, and they didn't even give you a pay you any mind other than responding, but not coming your way. But so what I started to do was I started being the biggest, baddest and out bugling the herd bull. That's what I started doing. I'd set up and I would just scream. And I mean, I would literally scream 50 to 75 bugles nonstop oh, as much. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> That's what he was doing. He was lip balling and screaming and grunting and pan and screaming. And boy, it would bring those other bulls right to his area. Once they got too close, he'd move. But man, oh man, I started doing that. I started stealing his thunder. And here came those bulls coming over to me. And because he, they knew that anytime a bull showed that defensive, serious defensive action, he's the bull that had the cows. He's the one that was being defensive. And so I put all this on the app, you guys. So in a video <laughs> form, you're going to see it all. There's 33 new videos on there that I talk about everything. Uh, and most of them are, you know, anymore from 10 to 15 minute separate videos. You're going to be able to watch it on stream, you know, watch them all, just stream it so you can see which ones might apply to your area. Cause I talk about a lot of subjects and explain many of them are in the woods. You can download those separately. So if you get off Wi Fi, you know, where there's no phone service, you can watch them again and go over the finer points in it if that uh, is applicable to your style of hunting so you don't have to just download it all you you within service you can watch anything you want just like the app is now you can download any portion and, and have it with no wi-fi but wait till you see these new videos i, I i've said it once and i'm going to say it again this app the way it is now it should be illegal <laughs> I kid you not. I'm not kidding you. This thing is going to kill so many elk. I've, it already has. It's killed over 5,000 elk that people have notified me since this has been out, including some of the other info that we've been sharing for years, you know, the elk net outdoors. But this new material, when you see it and you see the new setups and all this information, when instead of reading it all, you're going to see it all in broken up videos. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of dead elk uh, this year when, once this thing hits. Uh, and you'll see once you go over it, too. But but it's stuff like that that you have to understand when to be defensive with elk and when to be more subtle and what sounds to use. 
you know, again, it's their tone, it's the emotion behind it. It's the same with cow sound. But as far as hunting those uh, the elk in Arizona like that, I'm going to say if you caught them in their some so somewhat bedding area or in their territory, I would say that you just weren't being very aggressive. You were making elk sounds and you're going through the, I don't know, different tones. I don't know. I wasn't there, but I hunted Arizona. And when I hit the mountainous area, it was nothing to call them in. It was nothing. <laughs> and and that entirely could have been the problem is we, is we were kind of gun shy and not being aggressive enough. Cause, and, and we went and, and I would sit most days we'd hunt hard in the mountains for most of the, most of the morning in the day. And then evenings I'd go sit water. And yeah. there's one, one day that we finally got after him. And I mean, we followed this bull and his cows. I mean, probably uh, for four miles, just oh my goodness, hailing him because we're like it's the only it's the only dang elk we know where it's at, and so we just followed him and we we put him to bed and we found and we looked at the map um, and we're like, okay, he's going to be here tomorrow morning. At least we, he should be. So we're going to get back in. There's an easy spot for us to get in, and we finally got up there and. At this point, we're so gun shy because every time, you know, we're we're calling anything, it's just like, nope, I'm out of here. So we're kind of trying to devise a plan here and we can hear them kind of just we can hear the elk kind of shuffling around. You know, they're probably about oh, 200, 150 yards away at this point. Occasionally, we'll hear just some some like huffs from the bull. And honestly, we got kind of lucky because what ended up happening is somebody down that's what i thought you were going to say right there <laughs> down, down the hill from us goes and lights off and funny enough my 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 buddy john he was he was just saying he's like man i wish we had a third guy here to go down there and bugle him over to us and because you know he's just going to push him yeah yeah exactly and so right as like i mean it, it couldn't have been two minutes after he said that you know you could hear a couple of hunters down on the road they just light off a couple of bugles and just like clockwork, this this bull that we've been sitting next to for the last hour starts doing his roundup bugles. So we scramble to kind of get into position and it, we ended up getting it done. I, I took a, a nice little raghorn bull uh, as my first bull. Oh, and, uh, you know, it, honestly, and it was I mean, we we hunted hard. It was the last day of the hunt. I, I don't want to call it luck, but we definitely there was some luck that uh, those hunters down down the hill from us lighting off and scaring them over to us because we were kind of stuck at that point but yeah that's where you need the cow party you know it's stuff like that that'll suck them right in um when you watch the video on the app and you see how we're setting up and the sounds we're making you're going to see why it's so magnetic mm -hmm. to hunt arizona like that and have not a lot of action close encounter action it, yeah, you. I can see you guys. You you just weren't using the right tactics at the right time. That's all it boils down to. The elk were there, but to suck in just your regular six points, it it, it really isn't that. It, it's pretty easy because I mean, you can do it right on over the counter tags. I mean, mm -hmm. oh heck yeah. I mean that's how we kill all these elk. But my my point is when you have that big of an audience. All you have to do is be confident in your tactic, whether you wanted to go into the breeding sequence and hold your own, because with the, with the bulls I passed up, I would say that we called in over 200 and this was a mediocre unit. I drew I, it, at the same time. It was the best elk hunting I'd ever seen in eight states. I'd never seen <laughs> elk hunting like this, but it was just ridiculous. Here's where I'm coming across like this. The very first day I was there, 
my son and I, we were out there and we called four bulls to bow range. One of them would have went 315. And I, we called him in within one hour of the first day. And I just, I had him at 25 yards and I'm like, God, it's the first day. I don't want to kill that bull, even <laughs> though it's a nice bull, really nice six point. And I probably seven, eight minutes later, my son calls in a five point real heavy. And he come running in. I mean, I had this bull at 10 yards. As a matter of fact, it's on video and you see me draw right on him. And he's, and, and, and my son, I can hear him. Don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. You know, and I'm like, shut <laughs> up. I ain't going to shoot him. I'm just like, gotcha. And so the minutes later, I do that one. And then another bull comes in. And so we were calling. But what we were using at that time was a hot and heavy breeding sequence. It was like September the 10th. And, and we just hit, my son was hammering the breeding sequence and raking and clunking and just going. And this bulls just came, they come flying in. So in that first day, I would say we heard over 200 bugles. And so we're heading out. We didn't shoot anything. We didn't want to, you know, we want to keep with the experience and just see what else they had to offer. So we get that back down to the road and we're probably from our phones. We were probably three quarters of a mile from the nearest road. And, 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 the, and as you know, there's roads everywhere. There's no baby yeah. hunting back there. They're everywhere. <laughs> and so we get back down the road and we're walking back. And we we probably still had two and a half miles to get back to where we had parked because we went a long way. We were just everywhere all most of the day. So we're going down the road and this guy's there's two of them. They stopped by in a four wheeler and they says, hey, man, you guys want to ride? Yeah, we'll have a ride. Well, we got to chatting with them and they were saying, uh, We've been out all day hunting. I said, really? And they go, yeah. Did you guys get into anything? And we said, yeah, we got into a couple, you know, just nonchalant. <laughs> and they said, you know what? We've hunted this area at least 10 times. And they were older guys like myself ten over the years, at least 10 times. And this is the worst we've ever seen. They said they're just putting way too many tags out these days. And we used to be able to go out here and just hear elk everywhere. And they said, we haven't heard or seen a single elk all day. And we've been out since daylight. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? I mean, what are you doing? <laughs> and so this is what I hear a lot. I've gone to different states and different areas in my where I hunt. And uh, just to give you an example, when I hunted Arizona, I heard one human bugle. That was it. One. I never heard another bugle from, a, and I'm sure they must have been people somewhere around there. And let me tell you what, they were everywhere driving all over everywhere we went. There was just people there. That's just how it is, you know, and, but they had cow tags, deer tags. There was other tags out there. And I never stopped and talked to everybody because, you know, you're elk hunting, but at the same time, nobody calls. And when they do, they're just little dinky things. You know, they're just like nothing. I mean, when I'm out there, I'm busting my butt. I'm calling. I'm screaming. I'm bugling. I'm giving everything. I mean, and look how many elk I'm calling them. A lot. And so these guys go out there and they don't even call. They think they call. I think they sit on the Internet thinking everybody's over calling. There's too much bugling. The elk are running. I don't know what they do. But at the same time, I've experienced this in a lot of states, a lot of states. And people don't call. They just, I mean, if I'm giving location bugles, I'm kind of, you know, and if I don't get an answer, I may give it, you know, three or four or five times I'm moving off. And if I think there's elk around and I'm not hearing anything, I'm just getting more of a,
I mean, I'm hammer. I'm going off and on, going, going. There's none of this little bugle and then don't say nothing till noon. I mean, I'm kicking it <laughs> off. I am going and I'm moving through and screaming. I'm be- and then wham, you got a bull. Then three bulls. And I mean, we're just constantly in them like this, constantly. And once I get them to sound off, I'm not trying to call them in. I'm trying to find them. And now I just shut it up. I go in toward I where I hear them, hear how many additional bugles or grunts or whatever I'm hearing as I'm moving in, as they're talking, or this one bull's trying to find out where I'm at. I'm moving in and closing the distance. Okay, now I know about where they are at. I can't see them, and I move in, and now I form my strategy how I'm going to suck them in. Did he only give that bugle and he's not doing anything else? He just shut down? I'm straight to a cow party straight to it i move in i'm trying to close the distance of a half a mile whatever it was and he bugles 10 more times and two other bulls are bugling now i'm going to get right in there and i'm just going to go straight to a breeding sequence you see and that's what i'm talking about maybe i got one bugle and i'm oh that's a healthy bull now i'm going to go to the slow play this is a different kind so i'm not going to the same thing this is a more mature bull i'm not going to a cow party i'm going straight to the slow play so see this is how i'm dissecting it And this is why I put those videos out. The information is on the app, but a lot of times people don't get it as they read it. So we put everything in video form in sections. So now you can go straight up and you're going to see the slow play. Why, when, and how I really describe it and talking. So I think it's going to sink in a lot more than a person just reading it, but they should still read the content once they watch the video because the video is going to be in where all the written content is for that subject and so you know it'll hit home a lot more as they watch me make the sounds and see my setup and how i'm doing it all and i think it's going to make a huge huge difference in people's success and knowing when they should use a certain tactic and not another one for best results Well, Paul, um, I know you have a prior commitment and I want to be respectful of your time. So I just want to give you a quick second. If folks want to find the app, find Elk Nut Outdoors, uh, follow along with what you're doing, uh, where can they find you online? Well, I mean, we have Elk Nut Outdoors, which is elknut.com. And and of course, from what you just said, we, we still have the playbook and we still have some of the older DVDs and CDs that are still applicable as anything. It's the same stuff I use every year. Um, yeah, you know, sometimes we have to evolve our thoughts and that's where the app comes in. If you have a, an iPhone, which I do, uh, you can just go right to your app store and find the Elknet mobile app. If you have an Android, you're going to go to your Google Play store. And normally you would just go to your store and then go to search and put in Elknet app. That's it. And that will come up. And that's where you would uh, you would pick up the app. And, and, and at present, if you don't have the app, it's nine ninety five. It is going to yearly subscription. And so everybody that already has the app, they will have a 40 percent off because they're kind of grandfathered in and they will be only be paying six dollars a year. Uh, so it will have a once a year thing. But wait till you see the new app. It's going to ha- it has a brand new facelift. Tons of new information over 30, I think over 30 videos. I think I counted it was 33 or 34 new uh, videos on it and a whole lot uh, uh, of additional thing. And I think we're going to have maybe 75 different bulls that we've killed uh, ourselves all on there on its own page. So you can see the testimonials of, and these are over the counter bulls as well as a couple of draws, but most of them, uh, 99% of them are over the counter because that's what we really hunt every year. And we're calling these elk in guys. 
We are bugling these. A few are cow called in. Some have a mixture of bugles and cow calls only when the situation calls for it. We do not use cow, use cow calls if the bull is not showing excitement over them. We drop them. It's all bull sounds. If we happen to get a bull that is excited about cow sounds and no bulls, uh, bugles, we drop the bugle sound. You're going to see this in the videos. I talk about it all. So anyway, and, and, and that's true. I, I do have a prior uh, commitment, but, but to be able to uh, get the app, and you guys, you're going to want it. I'm going to tell you right now, if anybody purchases this app and they are unhappy, you contact me and you'll get your money back. I promise you, no questions asked. You will get it back. Uh, you know, if you want on this podcast, if you want to do some kind of a little uh, drawing, I don't know, or some kind of a, a thing that you want to do, I'll, we'll give away three uh, free apps to your listeners. And it, will, uh, and it will include the brand new sections all coming in. You want to do that? That sounds like a great idea. Heck I think yeah, we can that do way the guys get excited. Yeah, some kind of contest. Here for the podcast listeners, and we can post it up on social. And Pick uh, a number between 1 and 50. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so pick out uh, whoever the winners are. What I need to know when you send me, here's the winner, uh, his name and his email. I, I need to know if he has an iPhone or an Android, because those are two different uh, codes. And they'll get a free app for a free year. Sounds good. I will. Uh, I'll get. I will definitely be getting that set up. So uh, yeah. everyone listening, keep an eye out for that. Well, Paul, thank you again so much. Uh, you always give such fantastic information. I know I'm personally going to be re-listening to this episode a couple of times before well, the season, and also digging through. Uh, I can't wait for this new version of the app. So thanks again for joining. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Thank you very much for having me on, and I look forward to doing this uh, with you again in the future. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Again, a big thank you to Paul for taking the time and just laying down incredible elk calling wisdom as he always does. All right, y'all, so keep an eye out on my Instagram, on my social feeds if you want to win one of those three memberships uh, to the Elk Nut app for a year. Listen, Instagram has kind of been hiding my posts from people. So make sure you go to the wild initiative on Instagram. If you're there in your app, when you're looking at the profile, there's a little bell icon in the upper right hand corner. If you tap on that, you can turn on notifications for my posts, my stories, make sure you go turn those on. So you don't miss out on your chance to win a free membership to the elk nut app. Y'all. Also, take some time, head on over to iTunes or Stitcher, and I would love it if you could leave a rating and review. It's huge for the podcast. It really helps us grow a lot. Also, y'all, make sure to check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com slash 241. That'll uh, get you links to everything we talked about in today's episode. That'll do it for this week, y'all. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this episode inspires you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to the Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. 